0: All right. Welcome to the Operations Mastery Podcast. I'm Nick Verity, and I'm here with Stephen Logan. He leads the operations team and department at the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, a massive professional organization for criminal defense lawyers that really is a nonprofit and also has a, a noble mission of reforming the criminal justice system. So we're, we're excited to have him on today.
1: Uh, thank you very much, Nick. Thank you for having me.
0: So- Steven, this is not a small non-for-profit. You guys, I'm assuming, have hundreds or thousands of members. You have a ton of people on the team and you run a serious operation. Can you tell us a bit about like the size of, of the org?
1: Sure. Uh, we have uh, just over 10,000 direct members and that they could be private practice criminal defense attorneys, public defenders, law professors. We do have a few judges who are are interested in in, in the area. And we also have law students and people across the field. So we have a, a kind of a, a wide, a wide swath of membership. And that also includes not just the attorneys themselves, but investigators and Experts and people like that who are who want to connect and and to be involved and to support the mission. Along with our direct members, we also have a, what are called aff- affiliates in the states, so they're like state-based and also in the territories, organizations who have who have a shared mission. And so, while we focus on national issues, we do state work as well, but we're very much focused on the national side, or or at least that scope in all the states and some states have two have more than one because they're so large like Texas but we have state affiliates and there's many many more members there and then we work together on things like where we can advocate for them or work or help amplify their messages and things like that on staff we have about 50 staff members it ebbs and flows a little bit based on our projects but we we average around 50 staff and we have a few contract services as well
0: so running Something for 10,000 members can't be easy. How does your business model work? And what are the things that you guys are putting together for your members on a monthly, quarterly, weekly, whatever it is basis?
1: One of the things that are, is, has proven to be our largest member benefit, and this may uh, be a bit of a surprise, sometimes it is to me, is we do a print magazine, people yeah. love it. Uh, We have a lot of members. That's our main point of contact. And we bring, we have members who write articles, which is really great because they can talk about like their practice and we have other experts and things like that. Um, And that is, uh, we do 10 issues, well, eight issues of those a month where we also post that online and we're exploring how to make that a, a rich digital experience. Along with that, we do CLE, which is continuing legal education training for our members where our, our members, our, our programs team put together like different agendas and we have ones that we do pretty regularly and members come in there and they need those credits to keep up their bar license, but also mm. to learn and to keep up with the most recent topics and changes in law. And again, that's a place where our members and a lot of our board members and people like that are the speakers. So they can really hear directly from other people who are like in the trenches, quote unquote, doing it. Yeah. Um, and from those educational programs, we turn those into DVDs and online for the folks who can't make it. So our three core revenue streams is the membership, this, our, our CLE, our live events, and then the programs or products that kind of come from that. And we have both DVDs and on-demand for those. And our last, our fourth revenue stream is we do grants. And those are a mix of federal grants with uh, through uh Bureau of Justice, as well as private grants for their people. Uh, we're have a, a we're a C6, so we're a professional association, but we have a C3 uh, charitable organization called the Foundation for Criminal Justice, which supports it. And so we have private donors, some who just donate, and then we have people who like they want to do a project with us and they, or things like that, and they support different parts of our work. So we have four key revenue streams that come into play. And while they're separate. There's a lot of overlap there. We couldn't do our CLE events without our members. We would mm. we bring in members through those and, and the products. So um, they're very interwoven, even though they are very distinct. But that's where, where we think we really bring the value add is like it's a It's a bit of a full service. We do advocacy work, we do training, we do education, we have resources online, things like that for our members. Um, And then they can kind of, once they get up in their career, they can come back and do a training with us. And it, you know, it helps their career because they're up there, they're getting their name out, but they're also training and paying back what Mm. they've learned from other people who've kind of come before.
0: Amazing. And can you walk me through a little bit about how you operate the business, like your day to day, your biggest challenges? in systems you you have in place and then um yeah maybe maybe we start there sure
1: i come from a technology background uh so my i that's how i came into NACDL and along with uh some other projects that i've done but that's kind of where i came into this position so a big focus of of mine is still on the technology side that's a you know we recently this past year we transitioned to salesforce from a system we were using for our CRM, which Mm. is a big transition, as I'm sure you can imagine. imagine. And so that was a year-long project. So that was a lot of what I've been doing for the last year. And then, but where I think I have really been able to help out is to kind of help between the departments a little bit. Mm -hmm. So like we've been working on even, even even today working on like what's our sop for handling things just as basic as refunds like how do we where do we put our notes how do we pass them off to the folks to our accounting staff who uh cuts the checks simple mm-hmm. basic stuff like that of you know and who's gonna do it to make sure everyone knows and just like we write it all down you know and, and recording that so like six months from now when we all forget which I know I will uh we can pull that back up and like oh yeah that's what we decided that's how that's going to work and that's why we did it So that way we kind of get all that documented. So that way we know what we're doing, but also we kind of know why. That's a big thing for me is like, why do we do it that way?
0: Yeah. I I don't think people realize like the first step of process automation, whatever, is just writing down what happens, uh, your SOPs. And so you can start to figure out what's, what's the way we're doing things, what's broken about it, and then how should we be doing it in a standard way? And Um, how
1: can you automate it if you don't know why it works the way it works?
0: Yes. The why is critical. And even for operations, I'm always like having our team question why, why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing this? Oh, because someone needed this report, but that was just one person. And so I think that's amazing that you attach all of your SOPs and things to a why.
1: Well, and how many times I'm sure you ran into this too. How many times you're like, well, that's because the way we did it. Yeah. Do we know why we did it that way? No, it's a lot of work, but that's how we've always done it. Like, well, if we don't have a reason for doing it that way, then maybe we stop.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's so simple in retrospect, but the, it's just the way that it's been done for so long.
1: It's it's very uh Socratic method. Yeah,
0: way yeah, of yeah. troubleshooting. Very Socratic method. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. And listen, change is hard in a in an organization to get someone to change the way they operate is not easy. How have you managed that? Um not just with your year-long Salesforce project but in general like how do you get staff members to rally around a new SOP or process or change or anything?
1: Um so I am a big believer in soft power whenever yeah. possible. So I try to spend time talking with each individual. My usually what I try to do is like Go to, what, go to each person individually uh, when appropriate and say, hey, this is an idea. What do you think? How are you doing this? How would this impact you? And mm-hmm. then go to the next person and kind of do the same thing and say, oh, I talked to Viviana and she said she's cool with this. And mm-hmm. then go to go to the next. So that way, by the time we get together for that group meeting, we've all kind of talked about it a little bit. Yeah. And those are usually quick and formal, you know, not trying to get too in-depth or too solution oriented. Just kind of talk let's talk through what the problem is. Mm. And then we get together and like, okay, so this is what the ideas everyone threw out. We're usually all on the same page, at least of what the problem was by the time we get there. And so that way then we can kind of then focus on well, what's the solution? How can everyone help out a little bit? So that way when you have that first kickoff meeting, you've kind of already had four or five meetings that led up to it. And you know. When you have those five, 10 minute one on ones, that can save you an hour of back and forth on a five person call, especially now that we're not all in the room together, okay? right? We're, we're, we're remote much more than we've ever been in the past organizationally, as the world is. So far, been relatively successful. When we, you know, there's always going to be times it's like, well, I don't want to do it. Because it's not, you know, and that's fair. Like yeah, people, sometimes it's like outside their scope and I don't realize it or they're more sure. busy than I realize or things like that. So it's absolutely fair for them to say, no, I don't have time for that. So then it's like, okay, let me go talk to the next folks up and have another conversation be like, okay, so this is what they said. What, wh- how can we solve the problem? Sometimes we eventually just have to say this is the way it's going to be. PCI compliance. We just got to do it that way. We don't have a choice. It's just the way it is. It yeah. sucks. <laughs> You have to change your password every 90 days. I can't there's nothing I can do about that. But whenever we can it's you know how can we compromise what's a way to do it? And then how can the technology fit the solution? Yeah. Rather than starting with the technology it's like okay mm-hmm. we figured out what we want to do where we want to go. Now here's Salesforce. Can we make a new object? Can we can, can we do a new query? Can we do can we do a, an API to something else? Um mm-hmm. so for me which may sound Uh, backwards from a tech I usually come to the technology last and start with the people so that way people you know when we get to the technology like okay now we've now we're on the same page we can talk about the the solution together and get there rather than people feeling like I'm forcing a technology solution down the road because it's not always technology solution
0: One hundred percent. It's it's funny because I watched a video on how Elon Musk approaches problem solving and process at his company, and it's the exact same way. It's always Socratic method. Start with why are we doing this? Think through the whole process or solve the problem. Like get to the root cause of the problem, and then the last step is tech automation software. So um, you're absolutely doing it the right way. And I think a lot of executives and leaders think they need to be the chief problem solver. But actually, if you just like go to everyone and have one-on-ones with them or just ask them um, what the problem is, and usually by stitching everything together, you're just kind of this architect where you talk to the five people who are experiencing a problem, learn from them all, discuss it, get them together. And then, you know, things become those, first of all, those meetings are much more efficient. Even though you're approaching them informally, a lot of the hard work's already been done and therefore you don't have like tangents like tons of tangents on these calls and so that's an absolutely great way to to run things
1: and if i may it also makes them feel valued yes because if you go to i hate terms like junior staff or like but yes. if i go to the folks who answer the phones from our members and ask them a question one they know it better than i do because yes. they're doing it every day yes. but like they have good ideas and just because they don't have a larger title hmm doesn't mean they don't have good ideas. and that's that's how you keep people right like you, you yeah. make them feel included you make them feel part of the solution and yep. then they feel value and they feel part of the team and you know we we really do try to organizationally not just me but organization it's like we are a hierarchical organization and we do have managers and all of that mm. but like we our ed go our executive director goes and she talks to the, the folks who do our events, not the manager. He's he's really good. He does a great job. But like the person who books our hotel and like asks her questions directly and says, what do you think about this? You know, and mm-hmm. so not again, that's a culture organization wide that the experts are the ones who are the ones doing it, not the ones man necessarily the ones managing those people.
0: 100%. To kind of pivot back into the success of your organization, why do you think you guys have grown to the size you have. I mean, it's clear you are the biggest in that space of criminal justice. It sounds like you'll stay there. What do you think led you guys to get here? Like, why? Why does this work so well?
1: Well, I think the, you know, of course, we have great teams, our membership team um, and our programs team and all of them are awesome. They, they do great work. Organizationally, one thing that we've really grown, especially over, the, say, the last 10 years is our advocacy work. It's we've always been doing it, but we've really put, they've put a large emphasis on it, which is what one of the ways that brought in a lot of those private donors. Mm. And from our member perspective, they kind of see us out there doing it. Like we have a director who does public defense work. She's Mm. a former public defender. So she knows what she speaks, uh, what she's talking about. And then she's out there, you know, trying to change the system as well as what resources can we bring to public defenders and advocate for them. So they really, I think our members can really kind of see us doing it, not just, yeah, we do trainings and we do member benefits, Mm. but we started during the Obama administration pro bono work. So Mm. it's, uh, we bring in volunteer attorneys. Under his administration, he started a clemency program. And uh, we and uh, a few other partners got together and recruited, we had uh, over 30,000 incarcerated, federally incarcerated individuals apply, wow. brought in 5,000 attorneys who volunteered on their cases, filed, I want to say it was like 1,200 petitions for clemency, and 700 people got out, got out wow. early. Some of them, 300 of them were serving a life sentence, so they were never going to get out. Mm. And I think just those sorts of programs is a chance, one, it's a chance to bring in people who may not, because our volunteers or not necessarily criminal practitioners, so we're kind of opening some of their eyes up to what's going on. But it also shows our members and and other people like we're we're really trying to do it. We don't get it all right. We make mistakes yeah. and stuff like that along the way, but we really do mm-hmm. try to do the work along with them. We couldn't do it without them, you know, so we're there with them trying to do that. And I, I think that really people really see that. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things with you know mill- millennials and Gen Z and all all those different kind of generational titles, um, there's more of a trend of like joining work where like mm-hmm. you believe in their mission. Yeah. And I believe that's doubly true for volunteer organizations. They're going to it's like, they're paying money to be part of us. So they're going to go places where they feel like the mission actually lines up with their values. And that work that we're doing, I think really pays off um, both the advocacy side and, and bringing light to these issues, as well as the purely direct service type stuff to are um, the people applying for help.
0: Amazing. So you, this advocacy program has really helped you guys. And I think it's a good example of like doing something that necessarily didn't look profitable upfront, but Absolutely. Um, yeah, but has become a magnet for people. It's almost proves that your associate, how legit your association is and how it actually cares, you know, for, for reform and things like that. And especially um, with
1: our state partners, if I may. Um, yeah. We we're able to kind of bring in some infrastructure that they may not have. Mm. You know, some of some of our state partners, they don't even have full time staff; it's all volunteers. So mm. we can come in and be like, "Hey, oh, you want to do an action alert on this issue? We'll do it for you." Oh, like, wow! You don't need to do that. Like that's where we can help out. We can we can say, "Hey, you want to do? You got this bill coming up, and you want you want everyone in your state to know about it. Mm. We have this really cool system to send out these alerts." Doesn't cost us anything if we do one or a thousand messages. We try not to spam people, of course, but like we can—that's a place where we can bring a value add to folks, and we don't charge our affiliates for that. Like, that's just part of us trying to work together. Wow. And then when we do—I mentioned our pro bono work. When we do that in a state, we'll reach out to the to the groups who are working in that state. Be like, uh, we've been invited to be involved in a project. Tell us what's going on. Get the lay of the land. But also, like, can you tell your members, like, come and volunteer? So we can we we really try to, even though they're a membership organization, they do trainings. We're a membership organization. We do trainings. We try to find the places that we can all work together and build each other up, and not be in competition, quote unquote, for those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, it's it's a value first philosophy, and magically, that comes back to you.
1: It really does. Like yeah. like you were saying, like the things that don't look profitable. Mm-hmm. really can pay off because people see that and they realize mm. that there's something going on there. Yeah, And I think that's true for corporations too. Corporations who are taking, trying to be green and, and trying to be ethical, that mm. um, really does because like, yeah, you could make some more money yeah. on each individual transaction, but maybe you're going to make that back enough that you can make money. Corporations have to make money. They got to pay people. Yeah, But also at the same time, like where people go with their dollars, they may not, I can pay a hundred dollars more here and I know where yeah. that came from.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Do you have any other like blanket tips for anyone operating any sort of company or membership or association? You any sort of, of tips?
1: Well, one big thing for us has been, and sometimes it doesn't always work out, but it's like we, if an opportunity comes up, we'll at least try to explore it. Maybe it's not a best yeah. fit. Sometimes it doesn't end up working out. But so we don't currently have the staff to do that. But we have this opportunity to do something. Let's mm-hmm. figure out, is that an opportunity we want to do? Then let's see if we can go find the money. Is mm-hmm. it we reallocated our, the resources that we have already? Can we ask one of our staff members to do a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, which they're already doing a lot, but you know, is this something they can take on? Or then maybe we go out and try to find a private a funder. So, uh speaking of that pro bono work, the 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 clemency project we did under uh, under the Obama administration, we kind of decided we were going to do it and then we went out and found the money. Mm. Um so it's like we first decided this is a thing we want to be part of. Let's figure out the resources second. Let's, you know, try to try to keep the mission first. Yeah. Figure out the other things. You can't just go off and do it and not be able to pay for it, but you know, yeah. rather than saying we can't do it we try to come from the opportunity, the perspective of maybe we can do it.
0: <laughs> I love that perspective. And I mean, you're in that position at the size you are now. And that's why it's almost like a snowball downhill, is now you have all these resources to run those blast notifications for bills and important things. And uh, you have a list of donors who know, like, trust you, have done work with you. Maybe you were an attorney 20 years ago when they graduated and joined the association. So, uh, it's all compounded to where you are today, which is really impressive. And that's why I'm happy you guys have stayed in the game as long as you have, because um, there's tremendous benefit to that.
1: Uh, yeah, it's definitely not. It's it's uh, what's the old saying? I became an overnight success after 10 yeah. years of work. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely something that's grown. We've had uh, we had an executive director who was here for 14 years, and he retired just a little bit ago, and he really had a vision for growing. Mm. Um and our executive, our new executive director, who was a board member, she led our foundation, she was a practicing, she's a public defender. That's one thing it's been again that people can see, like people who are at the top actually did it. Yeah. And I think that really makes a difference. Yeah. Um, and she has a very similar attitude, like, you know, we've built this great infrastructure, we got to keep it going, keep it rolling. What how can we bring in resources? Mm-hmm. And so that leadership, I think, is Again, we've two two executive directors and now it's 16, 17 years. So we've had a lot of stability in that as well. And again, as I mentioned, our current executive director, Lisa Wayne, she was a president of the association. She was on the board. She has good relationships with our board members. Yeah. So there's a lot of continuity, even though there was some change. She was yeah. very involved. So it's she didn't have to learn all of that and all of the history and all that because she was part of it.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, I, I commend. You guys and how you operate and the value you provide, I know that a lot of things are broken in criminal justice and the legal system in general. And so I think associations like yours are moving the needle more than oftentimes our politicians or you know the couch sitters like myself who just complain. And so I, I commend you guys for the real value you're providing all over the place. And I think even attorneys, you know, they get into the business because they want to conduct justice and, and, you know, sometimes legal system has, has other ways of pulling them. So I appreciate you guys being um, an advocate for them as well. And I wish you the best of luck in your work. Thank you. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. We just, again, the members are what make it possible for so many of our, so much of our work. And like you said, we have folks who are, are members of us or they volunteer contract attorneys volunteer, or intellectual properties volu- attorneys volunteer. And and it, it really does take the whole community. And you really can see that even though they might not be criminal practitioners, there's, there's a lot of people who are involved in, in this work.
0: Definitely. Um, well, thank you, Stephen. This has been great. I appreciate it.